faithful God we serve. Mark chapter 15. We think of Independence Day, and we think of the fact of all those who have fought and died so that we could have freedom. You realize today what we have in our country today is not the norm in the world. It's not. And I mentioned in my prayer a little bit ago, you go back before 1776, and really there has not been a place that's been free to worship God like America. And yet so many died so we could have that freedom today. And we have freedom today because there's a price for freedom. It cost a lot for freedom for our country. It cost Jesus his life for us to be free from sin and to have the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. Last week we were supposed to be in this passage, and last week we ended up talking about abortion last week and God's view on that. And if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to go back and look at the message and go online to YouTube or to Facebook, either one of those, and find that there. The title for today is The Day That God Died. Quite a day. You know, we could look back in our country's founding, and there are many days that will always be remembered. Those battles that were fought. Those battles that were won. There are days we'll remember as Americans. For me, I know some of you are older than I am in this room. But you know, for me, September 11, 2001 will be a day I never forget. And I love the response that Americans had after that day. It didn't last that long, but it lasted for a little bit of time. But I would have to say that the day we should never forget is the day that God died. To think that God died marvels me. The author of life, the giver of life, the taker of life, life died. He has no beginning, he has no end. He always has been and always will be. And yet, one day, God died. We take our Bibles and look at Mark chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse number 25. The Bible tells us there, starting in verse 25, And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves, with the scribes, he saved others himself, he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, 
that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when he, they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the less, and Joseph and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. And many other women came up with him unto Jerusalem. Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes that we have. As we look at this passage this morning, as we dive in a little deeper and we see these thoughts here, I pray that you would guide us and help us today. Thank you, as I've mentioned, for the freedom we have in America today. But without this passage of Scripture we read today, we would have no freedom at all. Thank you for giving us liberty and freedom today through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray you'd bless the message, and I pray all that's said and done would please you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you realize that before the world was ever formed, before Genesis chapter number 1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, before all that, before the earth had any form to it, before anything ever happened, before God ever made man, before there was light in the universe, God determined that his son would die for the sins of mankind. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Do you realize someday it doesn't matter if you've trusted Christ as your Savior or not, everyone's going to bow before him, everyone's going to worship him, like it or not. But we see he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, verse number 4, According as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. According as he chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You see that right there. Titus 1, verse number 2 tells us, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Before the world ever began, God promised and God was going to give his son. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1, verse 19 and 20, But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily, look at this, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. 
I know it might be hard to grasp this truth, but the fact is that if you are saved today, you got to understand something. Before God ever created anything on this earth, he thought of you. And you were important, and Jesus would die for your sins before you were even thought of. Before the world was even thought of. you got to understand this morning, God determined that he would save mankind by his son. You see, there is no one else that could do it. You see, this is the problem. Man sinned against God. Man could not die for man because man is sinful. And sinful blood cannot purge sinlessness, right? Cannot wash us clean. Now, this is the thing. God didn't sin. God couldn't do it. But you got to understand, Jesus could. Say so how? You take God and man together, and you got the greatest superhero that ever lived in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that is God and man. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, and Jesus is the only one who could wash away our sins. Jesus left heaven. Jesus, let me remind you this morning, he is the Son of God. He is co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. He is God. For him to claim to all those in Jews that he was God and they said he was blasphemy, there was no blasphemy there. He is God. He left heaven. He came into enemy territory. He came to earth to redeem his people from their sins. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2, verse number 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Bible, you got to understand, he came, he lived a sinless life. The Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Bible tells us in that same chapter, verse 14, the Word was made flesh. Jesus, God, put on flesh, and he dwelt, he tabernacled, he tented among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He lived a sinless life, perfectly keeping all of God's laws. And yet, verse 11 of that same chapter says, He came unto His own, and His own rejected Him. They received Him not. Jesus came into this world to provide a way for sinners to escape the wrath of God. In order for that to happen, He had to die. He had to be nailed to a cross. His blood must be shed. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, verse number 18. You don't have that one? I'll read it for you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It's funny, sometimes in my notes, I put the full verses, and sometimes I don't. And that one, I didn't put the full verse. So let me read it for you. 1 Peter 3, verse number 18. It says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus was rejected by the Jews. He was blasphemed, declared that he was worthy of death. They beat him. 
They bound him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Pilate would have released him, but they wanted him to die. They scourged him. And our text opens up today with Jesus being crucified. Do you know all the Gospels, what it talks about his crucifixion, what it says? Look with me in verse number 25. All the Gospels say the same thing. And they crucified him. Doesn't go into great detail about the nails in his hands, the nails in his feet, all of these things. The Bible doesn't give much of a description of what Jesus went through in the crucifixion. But what the Bible does do for us, it gives us how important this was. That this event, Jesus dying on the cross, is the most important event that's ever happened in human history. The day Jesus was crucified is the day that sin and Satan was defeated forever. As we look at our text and we go through, we see the first three hours of Jesus on the cross. We see it was the third hour that they crucified him. And we keep on reading through there. It says they crucified thieves with him, one on the right hand, one on the left. The scripture was fulfilled, verse 29. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, thou that, did, that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. We see the chief priest was even out there. He just had, didn't have enough, did he? He just couldn't let things be. He was out there. And what was he doing out there? Mocking with the scribes, the ones who had the scriptures, knew what the scriptures said, and yet were blind to what the scriptures said. It says, he saved others, himself he cannot save. And look what the, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. He had done enough for them to believe. They didn't need anything else from him. And if they weren't going to believe now, they would never believe, even if he came down off the cross. And may I remind you, three days later, that they paid people not to say that the body was gone and the disciples didn't take him. They knew something happened. That wasn't enough for them to turn to Christ. There was nothing that Jesus could do that would have made them believe that he was the Son of God. They rejected that notion. So as we see here in verse number 33, it says, And when the sixth hour was come, three hours passed from verse 25 to verse number 33. In those three hours, he suffered all the pain of the cross that it could give him. During that time, the crowds mocked him. During that time, the chief priests and the scribes mocked him. Those first three hours were full of pain, full of shame. During this time, those first three hours, humanity had its way with the Creator. The God who made man out of the earth was dying for the sins on the cross for all mankind at that moment. Those first three hours, though, you got to understand, the pain was excruciating. What Jesus went through was so bad. But may I just remind you this morning that by the time the sixth hour came, it was God's time to punish Jesus. For the next few minutes, I want to look at the day that God died. Number one, as we dive into our notes today, we see the cruelty of Jesus' death. We see the cruelty of Jesus' death. 
Jesus has been on the cross for three hours. Nails have been driven through his hands and through his feet. The nails passing through his hands would have gone very close to a major nerve in your hand. And any of you, I know, I know Rebecca, you have a lot of nerve pain. And nerve pain, it's bad. And those nails going right in those spots, the pain that would have been in his nerves during that time, his body would be cramping up and dehydration would force him to remain in an unnatural position for very long periods of time. The Bible tells us that not one bone was broken, but all of his bones were out of joint. Anybody ever put, get, have a bone or something go out of joint? There was one time I was trying to show off for Caroline. We were at her house, all of her family. She's got 13 siblings, and we were playing volleyball. And I had the perfect time. And you know, Matthew's tall and things. He'll be here probably next service. So he was very good at spiking the ball down. And so I had my chance. I was set up, and I went to spike the ball, and I swung my arm. Boom! I don't know where the ball went, and I was on the ground because my shoulder went out. It hurt and hurt and hurt. And I'll tell you today, I still cannot sleep on this shoulder. And we're talking about 18 years later. I shouldn't have swung so hard. The spasms in his body would have caused his back to rub into that wooden cross. Now, think, now, I know. Oh, isn't, wasn't the cross smooth? Um, no, no, the cross was not smooth, okay? Didn't he just take a beating before this time? Isn't his back already super messed up? And so think of the most splintered wood you can think of. And a raw back rubbing up and down against that. That's, but that isn't even the beginning. He had nails in his hands and in his feet. It was hard to breathe. To breathe, you had to, your lungs were collapsing is what's happening. You had to raise yourself up, putting all the pressure on your feet that have nails through them. And in your hands that have nails through them. This is what Jesus is going through. The third hour would have been 9 a.m. in the morning is when he was crucified. The Bible tells us here in verse number 33 that when the sixth hour was come, this is noon, 12 o'clock. You've got to understand, was Jesus' suffering over? No, it had just begun. And really the worst part of his suffering happened after the sixth hour. You know, I firmly believe that when Jesus said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, I don't think he was too worried about the pain he would endure physically. I think spiritually what he was about to face, that's what he dreaded. Which starts there in verse number 33. It says, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Do you see that right there? Twelve noon, and it's dark outside. And I know there are some out there that said, well, maybe it's an eclipse. The moon was just full. It's Passover. That's when that would ha It's not an eclipse. The sky is darkened. And there are many people that give many, you can go through many commentaries, and you can see, and did you know in history, you can go to different cities and look at their historical records, and there was a day about 2,000 years ago that the earth was dark in the middle of the day. There's no coincidence with that. It's dark at noon. 
And when we think on this, many people give many explanations. Maybe God did it so that the people couldn't see him anymore and they could quit mocking him. I don't think that's the reason. If you were to ask me what darkness symbolizes, I think about what the Bible tells us. It refers to God's judgment. Amos chapter 8, verse number 9 tells us, And it shall come to pass in the day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. When God judged Egypt, Exodus chapter number 10, verse 21 through 23, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from their place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. Children of Israel had light, but the Egyptians had complete darkness. Jesus talks about how when the Lord comes, at the end, there's going to be darkness here on earth. Darkness is a sign of God's judgment. And when darkness fell that day at noon, it symbolized God's judgment on Jesus Christ. You see, when that darkness covered, what do we see Jesus do? Three hours later, so we're three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama, sabachthani, which being interpreted as my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For three hours from noon to three in the afternoon, it was pitch black. I imagine there was not much sound going on during that time. I don't know if those on the ground, you know, was the darkness as thick as it was in the book. If you read how it was in Egypt, they didn't even talk. They couldn't see one another. How thick was this darkness? I don't know. But at noon till 3 in the afternoon, it's almost completely quiet. What was, but you got to understand, there was a lot going on during that time. To understand why Jesus at 3 in the afternoon would say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, Jesus hung on the cross that day, and between noon and 3 in the afternoon, God took my sin. God took your sin and transferred every man's sin and every woman's sin in this world and transferred it to Jesus Christ. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. While darkness covered the nation of Israel, the blessed Lord of glory was plunged into the greatest darkness he'd ever been in. You see, the holy, sinless Lamb of God literally became sin on the cross. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. Consider this with me for a minute. Every lie ever spoken, every murder that ever takes place, every aborted baby, every word of blasphemy, every evil deed that every man has ever committed were redeemed and they were put on Jesus Christ that day on the cross. You see, all the people and all the wickedness that they have done from rapes to murder to incest to we could go down the list 
anything that was ever committed, he became it for us in that moment. Can you imagine how this must have repulsed his body? He is the son of God. He is God who cannot even look on evil and wants nothing to do with evil. Can't allow evil into heaven. But from, the, from 12 o'clock to 3 in the afternoon, he was willing to take your sin and my sin and put it on himself. And you got to understand something. It made him sick. That's what sin did. Yet he was willing to put it on for us. When that transaction was made on the cross, God the Father focused all his wrath on his own son for us. He took it all. The wrath of God, as the song says, was satisfied. God judged Jesus as if he were the liar. God judged Jesus as if he were the rapist. God judged Jesus as if he were the murderer. God judged Jesus as if he were the sinner himself. God treated Jesus that way. But you got to understand, Jesus suffered the greatest agony of hell itself. You see, the greatest agony of hell is not the fire. It's the eternal separation from God. And in that moment, at three in the afternoon, the Father turned his own back on his own son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He always referred to him as Father the one time he didn't my God my God why hast thou forsaken me why aren't you helping me why have you turned your back on me and he did because he became our sin when Jesus cried out Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani many people thought that he was calling on Elias to come and you got to understand, there was an ancient Jewish legend said that Elijah would come to the aid of the righteous Jews in their need of hour. And they were waiting for that to happen. But you got to understand, Jesus was not crying out to Elijah. Jesus was quoting Psalm 22. Another prophecy being fulfilled, Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was signaling the fact that he was being judged by God for all of our sin. Verse 37 says that he cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. The book of John, parallel with this, tells us in 19, chapter 19, verse number 30, And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The word it is finished comes from the Greek word telestai. It was a common word in that day. The primary usage had to do with two parties coming together in agreement on a price. When the agreement had been reached and it had been paid, the word to telestai is finished would be done. The deal's been struck and both parties are satisfied. When Jesus was on the cross, you got to understand something. He didn't have to satisfy Satan that day. He didn't have to satisfy mankind. He had to satisfy God. And the Bible says it very clear. The wages of sin is death. Jesus had to die for the sins 
of the world. He took our sins upon him, and he was judged in our place. He died when he knew the Father was satisfied. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, that he is our propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. The death of Jesus on the cross was the ultimate act of love. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible tells us, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. We see number one today, we see the cruelty of Jesus' death. Number two, we see the miracles that took place at Jesus' death. Look with me at verse number 38. It says, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And as we look at this, the death of Jesus, there were some miracles that took place. The book of Matthew tells us this, 27, verse 51 through 53. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake. And the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished, and he gave the ghost some things took place. Everything had been dark. There's an earthquake that takes place. Rocks are broken in pieces. And then saints that have died have raised from the dead and are walking around town. Tell me that that isn't a miracle taking place. How did they not figure this out? And we could talk about all these miracles and all these things, but I want to focus on the greatest miracle of all the miracles. It wasn't the earthquake. It wasn't the rocks breaking in pieces. It wasn't, as we read here, the graves being open and saints walking around. But it's what it says here in verse 38 of our text. And the veil of the temple is rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The veil in Solomon's temple hung between the holy place and the holy of holies. According to God's law that he gave his children, only the high priest could go behind that veil. And he could only go there one day each year. And God promised Israel that he would dwell between the two cherubims on the Holy of Holies that stood over the mercy seat. He promised that he would meet his people there. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest, what he would do is, he would take the blood of a lamb and enter into the Holy of Holies. He was able to take blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which rested on top of the Ark of the Covenant, making atonement for the sins of the people. To enter into the Holy of Holies at any other time without blood violated God's law. The priest in that day, you got to understand, if they went in there without the blood on the Day of Atonement, they would be dead on the spot. Dead. That's why I've told you before, the priests, when they would go in there, they literally have a rope around them and bells on. Why would the bells be on? Because if you hear the jiggling and the bells, you know they're still alive. If splat, you're not walking in there because you'll go splat. So you pull them out 
because they went in there when they shouldn't have gone in there. So do you realize, and you've got to understand something, it is said that this veil was so thick that you, that you could not just tear it apart. You couldn't just slice it with a sword. It was said that it would take a team of horses, and even that could barely tear this fabric apart. So when Jesus died on the cross, and when he cried out his fish, and when he gave up the ghost, in the temple that veil was torn in half. By who? By God. And what that meant is there's no more sacrifices needed. The Jewish system is done. The veil being rent proclaimed that God had a way for man to get to him. And instead of saying, hey, you can get close, but you can't get any closer, there's a, there's a veil between us. That day when Jesus died and when he died, the Bible says that veil was torn apart. And God says, okay, you have a way to get to me now. Hey, I'm not separate from you anymore. My son died for you. And because my son died for you, you can come on in now. And that's why the Bible makes it clear that there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus and in Jesus only. You see, you can try to be a good person. You can try to have all your good works, but they're going to get you nowhere. Jesus died, and that separation between God and man had been placed. Praise God for that today. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through him, Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Buddha didn't die for your sins. Joseph Smith didn't die for your sins. No man ever died for your sins. Jesus Christ did. And because of that, the temple veil was torn, and you have access to God, and you can go in today because of that. We see the cruelty of Jesus' death. Number two, we see the miracles that took place at his death. And number three, and lastly, we see the truth revealed in Jesus' death. <clears throat> The truth revealed in Jesus' death, verse 39. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Among those standing that day at the cross was this Roman centurion soldier. This man was the leader of other men. He was over a hundred Roman soldiers. That's a centurion. That's where the name comes from. He had a hundred soldiers under him. No doubt, he supervised the death of Jesus. He watched him die. But there was something different about Jesus than any other man he'd ever seen die. You know, what could it have been? You know, usually when someone goes to a cross, let's, just, let's think out loud here for a second. He was beaten 39 times about to die just short of death, carried his cross. The longer the process goes, the weaker the human becomes. You can't lose all that blood. You can't have your lungs filling up the way that they do. You can't be as dehydrated as you are. But you got to understand something. Not Jesus. You know what the Bible says right here? He cried with a loud voice. Do you see that right there? Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Normally those who were crucified, they didn't speak much towards the end. If anything, there was a whisper at the end of their life because they could barely speak at all. And when Jesus died, it seems like he had all of his strength still intact. This spoke to the centurion and he saw how Jesus died and he confessed that he was the Son of God. Hey, maybe, what else did he see? 
Maybe he saw Jesus hold his peace as all those people reviled him, as they mocked him. Maybe he saw, and I'm sure he saw, the thief on the cross saying, why don't you get us down if you're really Jesus? He saw how Jesus responded. He saw how Jesus made sure his mom was taken care of before he died. He saw all these things take place. He saw the earth be covered in darkness. He saw these things. But may I just remind you, and I'm, I believe it, and if you want to say I'm wrong, that's fine. I believe the centurion got saved. He believed Jesus was God. Isn't that what salvation is? I think he got saved. If you want to disagree with me, that's fine. You can ask him when he's there, or if you're not saved, you could ask him, you know. Anyway, we'll leave all that alone there. And what I love is the fact, do you notice that Jesus didn't die till everything was finished? Jesus didn't, the, the phrase, give up the ghost, it means to release your spirit. Now think on this. Till he knew that sin had been completely satisfied with God, he waited to release his spirit. That's Jesus. That's just who he is. Jesus died for our sins, and he did it when he was ready, and he stayed till he didn't need to stay anymore. Now, what, who was it that Oh, there's that song, I Did It My Way. Is that, is that Sinatra that wrote this? Is that Sinatra? Yeah. Jesus did. He did it his way. He really did. But we see that man saw many people die. And when Jesus died, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The day that changed all of our lives. Paul said this about the death of Jesus in Romans 3, verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Romans 4, 25, the last verse this morning, tells us who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I hope that if you've been in this church long enough, you realize the fact that Jesus Christ is the only one that saves. That being a good person, coming to this church, being baptized, none of those things do anything for your salvation. They're good things to do, but they don't help you get any closer to heaven. The only thing that can get you and I to heaven, the only person who can is Jesus Christ. He did it all. And that's the problem today with religion. Religion says you have to do this and you have to do this. But what, what Jesus says, I've done it. It's finished. There's nothing else for you to do. God, trust him. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. May it be a day that we never forget, the day that God died.